The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Mueller's mic drop. Special counsel Bob Mueller says that his probe did not clear President Trump on the obstruction of justice issue. This as he announces that he is resigning. He is shutting down the special counsel office and he is returning to public life. But does public life include testifying before Congress, that remarkable, remarkable statement. Can't really call it a press conference. He didn't take questions. Statement that he gave earlier today at the Department of Justice. What does it all mean? Plus, the stock market today, the Dow and the S&P, falling to a 12-week low. And the latest regarding the U.S. foreign policy, the U.S. directing 900 new Middle East troops to Saudi Arabia and Qatar, amid escalating tensions in the region. All of that, plus trade policy with an all-star, all-star sound on panel. Terry Sullivan, partner at Firehouse Strategies Public Relations Firm and the former presidential campaign manager to Senator Marco Rubio, and A.B. Stoddard, associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics, who I got to say my father is president of A.B. Stoddard's fan club. It really was a busy, busy day, especially of historic proportions, as folks finally got to hear from special counsel Robert Mueller. Finally. I mean, it was it was kind of interesting. Most of the uh, general public had never heard him speak before. So he gives this statement uh, at about just before noon uh, and essentially says, well, I'll let I'll let him take it from here. Take a listen to what uh, special counsel Bob Mueller said making his first public statement on the Russia investigation uh, and concluding that they're, well, on his own conclusions. Here's the special counsel. After that investigation, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. So special counsel Bob Mueller not saying one, or dodging once again whether or not he believes that President Trump committed a crime. With me for the hour, A.B. Stoddard, associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics, Terry Sullivan, partner at Firehouse Strategies PR firm, and the former presidential campaign manager to Senator Marco Rubio. A.B., when you hear that played from the special counsel, your reaction? Well, a a lot of um, the people who want to believe, you know, Trump supporters, Trump allies today are saying basically everything that came out of Bob Mueller's mouth today was already in the report. And you can make that argument that he made the decision to come and say a select few things from the report on camera for posterity's sake and to, I think, underscore the fact he contradicted 
the attorney general. He said he believes he made his assessments in good faith, but he didn't say, and I agree with him. He basically contradicted him by making the case that he followed legal guidelines, rules of the Justice Department called the Office of Legal Counsel Guidelines, that he could not indict a sitting president. And so he never even thought he could come up with the idea of charging him. He knew that from the start. And that um, he he obviously made it explicit by repeating this, that he could not exonerate him. And uh, I think he did it Generally speaking, Kevin, my sense of the whole thing, the whole nine minutes, was he believes Americans are not reading this report, that they've been misled on the interpretation and the narrative, and that the rush apart, the, the actual attack on our democracy, is so is so grave and urgent, and that people are not understanding the, the import of that. Yeah, he may be a, a phenomenal legal mind, uh, but if he is surprised that Americans haven't read a 400-page report then he maybe is lacking in the common sense front. I mean, look, not one single American's mind has changed about the report after he came out today, which says more about Americans than it does probably about about Bob Mueller or the report or anything else. But at the end of the day, people believe what they want to believe. And to his point, if Donald Trump shot someone on on Fifth Avenue, he could get away with it. A.B., I was struck by this. I mean, nine minutes. We got nine minutes, nine minutes of a statement that special counsel Bob Mueller offered. And he did. It really was a reiteration of this report, which was more than 29 months, uh, 2,800 subpoenas or something like that. Um, And he was the historical figure that history will remember, history will judge. And he offered nine minutes. I mean, there's there are some folks who I think, reasonable folks, who would say the American people deserve to hear and from this man under oath before Congress to answer questions, not from a mainstream cable news fight fodder, but, but real questions that, that folks have about this. And then I think there are other folks who would say, well, you know, he wants the report to speak for himself. Is there any way to reconcile both of those uh, Thoughts. Right. I, that is such an important question, Kevin. I mean, that's the paradox of Bob Mueller, right, that he wants to remain the Sphinx. He likes to be so intentionally um, hyper measured and, and um, kind of subtle in his rhetoric that he that nothing can be used in like soundbite form and can be used by either political side in a fight. Uh, and he sort of is takes pains to to be fair to the point where he's just sort of jumbling, uh, you know, a bunch of marbles out and trying to bury things. Tea it's leaves. like, say what you mean. It's exhausting. And right. people want context, which is a really interesting word that he chose to use when he wrote to the attorney general about the way his findings were released in summary form. He put it in a letter, which everyone knew was very un-Bob Mueller-like because he knew it would be leaked. And one of the words he said was the context, that he felt c- confusion had been created. And and what you describe is Bob Mueller answering questions for the public under oath. It would be it's an effort to seek context to a lot of the things that are in his report. And he doesn't want to talk about the context, but it is very hard to to remedy by the book. Bob wants to stay in the background and by the book, Bob, who so cares as a Marine and a a long time, longest serving FBI director about the rule of law has to understand this is an extraordinary situation. He might have to put on his big boy pants and be uncomfortable in a Judiciary Committee hearing. Yeah, but would it matter? I mean, first of all, the the, the notion that 
Congress, anybody in Congress just about could question him in a, as Kevin, as you put it, a non-cable news kind of way is, is ludicrous. I mean, everyone's going to be, be positioning for their Spartacus moment. And they're all going to try to grandstand and, and try to give him gotcha questions. And that's why he doesn't want to do it. And, and at the end of the day, the guy came out today and functionally said the pre- he believes the president broke the law when he said, if we thought he didn't, we would have said it. We didn't say. I mean, he said it. Right. I mean, it was a nuanced way. And it was in, you know, but but it, that's what he said. And again, I go back to the point. I don't think one single American's mind is changed on the issue because anymore people believe what they want to believe about the politicians they believe in. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk more about the fallout from uh, the reaction, rather, from Democrats and President Trump himself uh, regarding special counsel Bob Mueller's uh, comments today. Uh, and, And I do just want to reiterate the final statement that he made before he walked away from that microphone, not taking questions. He said, quote, I will close by reiterating the central allegation of our indictments, that there were multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our election. That allegation deserves the attention of every American. Happy hump day, folks. A beautiful, beautiful summer day here in Washington, D.C. I gotta be honest, I've joined the Scooter Club. I now am going from the White House to Capitol Hill via scooter. Not that anybody cares, but if if you're driving on the roads, watch out for those scooters. It could be Kev. With me here in studio for the hour, Terry Sullivan, partner at Firehouse Strategies Public Relations Firm. He's also the former presidential campaign manager to Senator Marco Rubio. I hear he rides a motorcycle, so knows a thing or two about (laughs) vehicles that are not cars. And A.B. Stoddard, associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics. We're talking about the Mueller mic drop, or as A.B. called, what you call it, by the book, Bob? That's his sort of nickname. I mean, that's his reputation nickname. Yeah. I don't th- think people come up to him and say, hey, by the book, how's it hanging today? That they say it behind his back. When they're, when they're not at uh, Martin's Tavern. You know, Dudley like, Do-Right. I, whatever those lists of people who, you know. I guess there are worse nicknames. I mean, the president hasn't really tweeted a nickname for by the book Bob, but I mean, that kind of, I don't know if he would, would agree with that. But the president, for his part, uh, tweeting, responding to special counsel Bob Mueller's uh, uh, Mueller mic drop, or however you want to call it, and, and saying that nothing has changed. Do you think that his comments today change anything, A.B.? Well, I um, I do think that it is, as we've all been talking about, putting enormous pressure on the Democrats because many people interpret what he said today as basically an emphatic push to the Congress that he couldn't uh, indict or clear this president and the remedy in the Constitution is 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 on their laps and it's their responsibility. And so you see, you know, a real pushback. The 2020 candidates are all on board, Pelosi, and then, of course, Biden instantly do their sort of, it's all on the table, okay, but really not yet. Um, they're, they're continuing to, put, to pump the brakes. And so I think that's... He, he really put a fire under impeachment that wasn't there uh, this morning before he spoke. Um, and I don't think that uh, I think it is really easy for everyone, as we've been saying in Trump world, to say, look, nothing's new, just like the president said, although he did not call it a hoax or a winch hunt today. In his response, he said insufficient yes. evidence in a tweet clearly <laughs> authored by somebody else under the Trump name. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if it, you know, after Congressman Amash 
held this, um, you know, town hall last night, not knowing Mueller would talk to us today. And he basically said, look, my colleagues, including the House Republican leader, are not reading the report and they don't care. And the ones who have agree with me privately. We don't know that, um, you know, in the days to come, this won't put more pressure on Republicans to respond have you read the Mueller report? And what do you think of what Bob Mueller said the other day? And what do you can you defend what's in the Mueller report? President Trump tweeting six hours ago, quote, nothing changes from the Mueller report. There was insufficient evidence. And therefore, in our country, a person is innocent. The case is closed. Thank you. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi disagrees. Here's the Speaker of the House speaking in San Fran, beloved San Fran, uh, at the Commonwealth Club of California, uh, responding to Uh, Special Counsel Bob Mueller's remarks. Here's the Speaker of the House. Everybody wants the president to be held accountable in the most serious way. And everybody believes, I'm talking on the Democratic side, that no one is above the law, especially the president of the United States. That was Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi uh, talking earlier today, responding to Special Counsel Bob Mueller. You know, Terry, you've worked on like a trillion campaigns. When did the gloves come off for these Dems? I mean, when does the Democratic presidential candidate actually say, hey, you know what? It would help me politically to go after Speaker Nancy Pelosi and say, quit playing political referee and trying to have it both ways. You either want to impeach or you don't. Well, probably because she's saving them. She's saving them from themselves or from the base. She, I mean, look, for, for her, she's doing the best thing humanly possible for the Democrats running for president right now because an impeachment proceedings isn't— uh, Unless, and she said it, unless they figure out how to convince a whole bunch of Republicans in the Senate, it doesn't matter. It may be cathartic, it may, you know, but all it's going to do is create a distraction that Trump will love and he'll use to his advantage. And at the end of the day, they need to focus on running a campaign for 2020 and not an impeachment. But like, okay, like in some warped world where you are a Democrat and not a Republican, when you, like... Can't you go behind the scenes and your and your Senator Kamala Harris or your Senator Elizabeth Warren? They're calling for impeachment, but they're not targeting Speaker Pelosi. Wouldn't couldn't a political strategist make the case that if you go at I mean, if you take off the gloves right. and you start saying like enough, you either want to impeach or you don't. The sim the same way that AOC had that, you know, sit in with with, you know, and, and kind of put some pressure on on Speaker Pelosi that it might say that this is a new Democratic Party? This is not the Democratic Party of yesteryear? Sure, but look, if I was working for Democrats, I'd do the same thing when I work for Republicans, which is focus on winning a damn election. Not about changing the movement or the party or this or that. It's about winning. And everybody from Camilla Harris to Cory Booker to Joe Biden, anybody in any of their organizations realize that an impeachment is only going to hurt their prospects of winning. I think one of the most fascinating things to um, bubble up in the last few weeks is this news that uh, the woke fest that we thought was going to be the Democratic primary campaign turns out to be a bunch of terrified people who want to defeat Donald Trump and they're backing Biden by incredible margins. He has the last poll I saw, he was at 50 percent in a 23 person field with a non-white vote. Why? Because African-American voters want to win. They don't want to uh, represent, you know, the AOC contingent on the left. Um, In fact, they've had it with these types. And so this is the really interesting strain is that we thought, oh, there's going to be like this new push and everyone has to impeach. I think if you're Kamala Harris and I mean, Elizabeth Warren's a different story, but I think most of them 
it's it, Terry's right. You say it's time to impeach, but you do not actually try to do this and like take on Pelosi. Right. You just well, say it and then go along with a party that and, wants to win. And she's doing a hell of a good job pounding the heck out of Trump for these folks. Like, you know, she's their best ally, these presidential candidates on the Democrat side. Not to mention, look, look at 2010, the Tea Party revolution of the Republican Party. You know, all these Tea Party Republicans come sweeping in. Who does the Republican Party nominate as a presidential nominee two years later? Mitt Romney. Now, you can argue whether whether it turned out the way they'd planned, but at the end of the day, they said, look, we're more concerned about beating Barack Obama than we are about continuing the Tea Party. I want to play for you what House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler, Jerry Nadler, the Democrat from New York, uh, and he, he responded about whether or not Congress needs to act. Here's uh, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler responding to Special Counsel Bob Mueller. It falls to Congress to respond to the crimes, lies, and other wrongdoing of President Trump. We will do so. So one of the things, I mean, look, I, I'm not a, a Washington insider by any means. I'm just a guy from Delco. You're just a scooter. I'm just a, I'm just scooting Cyril's. But, <laughs> but, like, but one of the things that never fails here in Washington inside of the Beltway is that everyone is fixated on the word impeachment, but they could pull some word out. They could do like a censure, a censure, yeah. a censure or something. I mean, I, I don't know. Is that, do you think that that's really where we're headed or, or? I'm actually interested in Terry's thoughts on this. So uh, the, the push now is to explain to the public that an impeachment proceeding is not necessarily a vote for removal, that they never have to hold the vote, but that in, in to try to educate them on Watergate and how they took a year to drag public opinion their way, which they did, and that he resigned President Nixon because he was afraid he was going to be impeached, and that what you do is you tell the story through the hearings, and you never have to hold the vote and then worry about the Senate uh, trial, uh, you know, acquitting him, blah, blah, blah. I just think that um, that's this interesting thing where I think that when they get behind closed doors and they fight about this, that's what the, the fight is about. Can we just at least start the inquiry because we'll get grand jury information and it'll you know sp uh, speed the way to compelling witnesses. I think there's like a technical um, discussion going on, but but people like Pelosi are worried that the, the public believes impeachment means you're out of here and it's like you get ejected right away and that's what the vote means. Yeah, but the problem is impeachment is a is a political thing and uh, we all know that that members of Congress are, are, are not a bunch of leaders. They're followers. They follow their voters. And right now, the country is so divided and you're so passionate. The country has never been more segregated on where they get their information in the history of, of the republic. It's dizzying. And, and so you only get your information from news organizations or people on Facebook that agree with you. or And, and so you, you, you segregate your information flow so you don't trust the other side. So there's no, wow, that's a really good point. Let me think that through. It's that's fake news. It's coming from the other side. And both sides do it. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that it's near impossible for them to drag uh, voters over to their point of view over the course of a year because they're not even going to be tuned into it. They're going to say, oh, that's fake. They should tune into Sound On. Coming up, we talk <laughs> policy, U.S.-China trade talks in particular, plus more reaction from the president's negotiations with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. I mean, we're talking about all these impeachment stuff. Fun fact, I was in the eighth grade school play of Schoolhouse Rock. I feel like we should just watch Schoolhouse Rock Get some of these impeachment proceeding literature, how a bill becomes a law, not just for the audience. The audience gets it, but the members of Congress. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio, and we have 
all-stars, all-stars in the Sound On house today. Terry Sullivan, partner at Firehouse Strategies Public Relations Firm and former Marco Rubio 2016 presidential campaign manager and A.B. Stoddard, associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics. And we were talking about the Mueller mic drop earlier uh, on and what happened today, but I got to be honest, I think it's trade. And Terry, we were talking about this in the break. I think it's trade, which is really going to have the biggest impact. It's going to be like the healthcare debate in the 2016 cycle, but the large policy debate for this cycle is going to be trade. And I'm looking through the Bloomberg terminal as we speak and on the Bloomberg terminal, what we're seeing, the headlines that Canada has introduced legislations to ratify a USMCA. Then you've got the fallout with the U.S. and China and China readying tariffs to hit back even more against the United States. Where politically does this leave us, Terry Sullivan? Uh, well, look, it, you know, to quote the Bill Clinton campaign of 1992, uh, it's the economy, stupid. And, uh, you know, all this other stuff with Mueller or everything that's going on, it's really a sideshow. The, the feud between Pelosi and Trump and Americans are willing to put up with that as long as the economy is going strong. But if the, if the economy starts to, to teeter, as it looks like it could be with, with these, this China trade war, that's going to create a real drag on a, on a Trump re-election campaign. I mean, a serious problem for him. In, in states where it matters the most, like a Pennsylvania, like a Wisconsin, like a Michigan, like a Minnesota, those states right across there, trade impacts them a lot. A.B.? Well, what's interesting is that the president's been looking at a lot of internal polling, obviously, that shows Biden ahead of him, as you can tell by his tweeting habits. Um, this is on his mind. Uh, and in those states that he won by less than 1 percent, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, he wins, again, only if Democrats stay home. That's what happened in 2016. He, if you look at his approval numbers, uh, he just doesn't have uh, – okay, we don't have a nominee. But it, at this point, if the election were held tomorrow, he's worried about those states. And looking at the Midwest where uh, not only have tariffs ravaged the ag industry, but then flooding has also really, really uh, just devastated them. Um, those people – I wonder about because they, you know, Trump can talk down to people who aren't farmers and convince them that China is paying the tariffs. But farmers actually understand trade and they understand that uh, if right now he dropped all every tariff everywhere, uh, the Chinese are still buying the soybeans they used to buy from us from Brazil and that the long term damage to them cannot be reversed quickly, if at all. And so that's really because they don't see a deal looming on China. Um, the panic is actually really setting in. And the Republican senators, you see that there's a correlation between the pain on the ground and how much they're willing to now speak out publicly. And that, that I think, is a huge problem for I him. I think it's, it, it's, it's fascinating to watch just how much worse this could get because there was a major, major non-decision within the last 24 hours. Of course, I'm referencing the Treasury Department deciding not to label China a currency manipulator. Now, had they labeled China a currency manipulator, that would have been like, you know, like a, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm it would be like dropping a political bombshell of epic trade war proportions on this if they labeled them a, a currency manipulator. And President Trump has tweeted within the past year or so, toying with the idea of doing that. When Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin was up on Capitol Hill the other week, uh, he politely sidestepped the questions on this. But designation as a currency manipulator would come with no immediate penalties. 
But that could really rattle the market. So I'm curious, Terry, if you think President Trump, in deciding not to label China a currency manipulator, was doing it as a as a favor to China or more as a, a wink, wink and a, and a nod, nod to the markets, which, of course, have been rattled, rattled yeah. in recent weeks. And just, you know, I'll, I'll I'll be quiet here in a second. But the U.S. US stocks falling to a 12 week low today. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that premise would presume that there is some sort of plan or strategy. And I just don't think there is. I think that he believes that, you know, the trade imbalance is this huge problem. Um, And the irony is that China is a currency manipulator. China does steal intellectual property rights. We're starting a war with China, China, an economic war with China, over the wrong thing. It's the one thing that they make cheap stuff. We buy cheap stuff. That's not the problem. The problem is all the other things that we do, but we can't deal with those things when he's starting this trade war. So he's attacking the wrong part of the relationship. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. And I just want to even dive a little bit deeper into the weeds here because our, our colleagues uh, across the globe, uh, around the world, in, in China, in Beijing in particular, doing excellent reporting on this and keeping tabs on all of it on the Bloomberg Terminal because there were a flurry of Chinese media reports on Wednesday, uh, including an editorial in the flagship newspaper of the Communist Party. And I think we take this for granted. I mean, everyone always says, like, oh, Fox is in it for, for Trump or MSNBC is in it for the left. But the Think about it, folks. China actually has a Communist Party newspaper. And if you really want to know where traders are getting a lot of their insights from, it's from these editorial boards in the Communist Party newspaper. And they raise the prospects of Beijing cutting exports of commodities that are critical, critical in defense, energy, electronics, and automobile sectors. I do want to pull out a number of the day that China supplies 80%, 80% of U.S. imports on rare earths. All of this comes... Obviously, I mean, A.B., I'm seeing you nod your head. This is so incredibly targeted and so precise. And when we talk about, you know, the headline risk of of the U.S.-China trade talks, this is so precise and clearly a response not just to the tariffs, but also to the executive orders which have bipartisan support on Huawei and ZTE. Yeah, I I mean, it's so... It's so interesting that you raise the designation of the currency manipulator because that, you know, might be in reaction to the reaction to Huawei decisions. You know, we, we try to read the the, the leaves on this. Uh, what we all know, no matter what happens each week, is that the China is playing the long game and can play a long right, game. Right, There's and no election in China. And that Terry <laughs> said something important. I think people are beginning to realize there's no strategy. Uh, Lighthizer and Mnuchin are working with their counterparts. There's a desperate urgency to come to a deal. But there wasn't really a long-term strategy to this. And Trump just lives in kind of hour-to-hour reactive mode. And the problem in the recent weeks since the collapse of the official talks has been that he keeps talking about how great tariffs are and how they're even better with all this imaginary revenue he thinks it brings to the Treasury than a deal itself. And so it's very when you when you see the sort of draconian 
punishing measures they're considering, um, it, it's just hard to imagine that it's, it's, it's more, I think, obvious that, that a plan is not in a drawer somewhere. And it doesn't appear that the Europeans are, are acting in lockstep with the U.S. in terms no. of U.S.-China negotiations and that has they're the beneficiaries of well, this that, and that I mean, they're the, they the economic direct and beneficiaries we could have thought about this. this before tpp and but. lastly there's no real framework like there was with usmca so even if there is a framework of an agreement with china there's not going to be a need for ratification well, of congress and keep in mind usmca that hasn't been ratified with congress so this thing could i mean it could get, go from really bad to really awful soon I'm an optimist, Terry. I'm an optimist. It's summer here in Washington, D.C. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to have a special interview with Housing Secretary Ben Carson. Ben Carson, he's going to be appearing on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're going to be interviewing him all things policy and politics. With me for the hour, Terry Sullivan, partner at Firehouse Strategies Public Relations Firm. He's the former presidential campaign manager of a lot of different campaigns, including Senator Marco Rubio, and A.B. Stoddard, associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics. I don't like to really normally do this, but what should I ask Secretary Carson tomorrow, A.B.? Should I tell them what I want you to ask them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I would like to hear his story about growing up in public housing. Okay. A little bit of it. Okay. I'd like to hear about that okay. and how it affects his policy decisions. Okay. I think I think that's a, that's a great question. All right, Terry, what do you think I should – what do you – what do you think I should ask him, Terry? No, I legitimately think like the belt buckle stabbing story. Like I, I'm just saying, like that's just a weird story that he wrote in a book. I mean, you know, I, Trump called him out on it. What, you know, what's the deal? I think deal if with... you put it in a book, you want to be asked about. Right. It. I, I think, think Terry's you, you right. should explain it. How, what kind of? How big was the belt buckle that it shielded you from a oh knife? God. You know, I've never really talked about this, but I actually was. Uh, I, I was assigned to Ben Carson and Donald Trump's presidential campaigns when I first, like literally my first day at Bloomberg, because they thought that they were going to fizzle out. This is when there was like 17 Democrats. And turns out, well, here we are today, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. Pivoting now, we'll have that Secretary Carson interview for you tomorrow. Pivoting now to foreign policy, the U.S. sending additional troops directed to the Middle East, to Saudi Arabia and Qatar, as America's standoff with Iran shows few signs of abating. This according to my colleague Glenn Carey on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, this comes following remarks from the ac acting Secretary of Defense Patrick Shanahan. A.B., you're so plugged into this, the, to these, uh, the foreign geopolitical world, and, and you talk to, to every lawmaker connected to the situation in Iran. What are lawmakers looking for in how the administration is conducting its Iran policy? Well, as you know, there's been a little bit of discrepancy between the way that the Democratic lawmakers and the Republican lawmakers describe the threat presented in the intelligence they've been uh, they've seen. Um, and that's a little disheartening to see a partisan difference about that. Uh, but there are enough voices saying that this that this heightened sort of provocation and threat is is genuine and we have to respond to it. I think there's consensus that um, some kind of show of force to to um, to respond uh, without, you know, actually launching any kind of military operation would be effective. I think the the problem, and Republicans aren't saying this, 
uh, a lot um, is that we really have no idea what the plan is at the Trump administration. He has the president himself made it. I mean, he's said bluntly now publicly several times, we don't want regime change. We don't want a problem. We don't want war. We just want them to give up their nukes. But really, we can talk on the phone. And and, and then you have different voices, obviously, um, f- coming from other top officials on this. And it's very, very troubling because it weakens us in terms of what the Iranians think. Uh, and um, it it it. Make you know it's it's dysfunctional. So there's always division uh, around the table among experts in every administration. But these last two weeks, I think, have really been disturbing in terms of uh, we knew what the we knew what the plan was in Venezuela. We actually knew that this government, our government, sided with the opposition leader and wanted to eject you know uh, President Maduro from office. We don't know what their plan is with Iran, and it's it it, it creates the the likelihood of what everyone keeps talking about is the scary miscalculation and miscalculations lead to war. Right. I mean, look, it's, it's foreign policy by tweet and it's, it's dangerous. Um, the, I do think that uh, Secretary of State Pompeo is doing a good job and he's trying to be a moderating uh, voice within the administration on, on making kind of adult decisions on this. And he's done a really good job of, of navigating uh, the dif- the distance between Trump's uh, tweets, which are all over the map, and and the actual policy, and so I think that's that's gives me some reassurance. All right, we got less than a minute, so yes or no? This is like closing round of sound on. Vice President Biden right now is the only one who is saying no to impeachment. There are a couple of other candidates on the Democratic field who say they that they personally believe that it's up to Congress and blah 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 blah. But he's the one who is saying essentially, according to Biden, uh, that he's resisting impeachments but wants Congress to investigate. Does Joe Biden get away with that, or is he going to have to change his position, Terry Sullivan, and is he going to have to call for impeachment? Look, uh, he's yes, he gets away with it. I agree. He's All the right. establishment. He's with Pelosi. and, and He's a he's 747, made, and once he's off the ground, that campaign has cleared the that's trees. That's the Biden bet. Talk my he's, language. He's a scooter. He's yes, a scooter yeah. that is fully charged. That's, that's it for me, Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. A.V. and Terry, <laughs> such a fun show for me. Such a treat. Such, such a treat. I'm very grateful. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify Secretary Ben Carson tomorrow. That's it for me. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.